You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Bibles, look with me to the book of James. That's where we're at. We're in this series where we've been talking about putting our faith to work. What does it look like to put our faith to work? What we've discovered so far in this series is that following Jesus, Christianity is more than just words, right? It's more than just making the right profession. Now, certainly profession is significant when you make that decision to become a follower of Christ. But what we've discovered is, is beyond just making a commitment to Christ, that authentic faith actually is connected to works, that, that, that our faith is revealed through what we do. It's, it's, uh, it's not enough to talk Jesus, we must live Jesus. Now turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you need to live Jesus. Go ahead and tell him. Not enough to talk Jesus, but we need to live Jesus. If you read the Gospels, one of the things you'll quickly discover about Jesus is this. He didn't play favorites. He didn't just hang out with the rich and famous. He didn't just spend all of his time with the religious folks of the day. He didn't just spend time with people who could help him the most. Jesus actually, again, read the Gospels, is what you'll discover. Jesus blew up the whole structure and system of the discrimination in his day. Interesting, he was known, he was known as the friend of sinners. You know why he was known as the friend of sinners? He had this tendency of hanging out with folks that no one else wanted to hang out with. Tax collectors, individuals who were lawbreakers. I mean, that's, that's who Jesus hung out with. Therefore, when the religious leaders were trying to, you know, they were doing a little name calling. They said, oh, here's a name that'll get him. Let's call him friend of sinners. And Jesus took it as a compliment. Interesting. On numerous occasions, also, again, in the Gospels, Jesus intentionally engaged the Samaritans, and that was unthinkable for good Jews. I mean, like, there was this divide between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews actually thought the Samaritans, like, there was nothing lower than a Samaritan, like, even dogs were better than Samaritans in this whole classification. Yet Jesus, numerous times, what engaged the Samaritans. Why? Because Jesus didn't show favoritism. And then there was... There was Jesus' relationship with women. You know, the world that Jesus entered largely discriminated against women. In Jesus' day, women were treated as second-class citizens. They were to be seen but not heard. A woman couldn't go into the temple and touch the word. If a woman was to touch the word of that day, she would defile the word. I mean, there was, there was this, this separation There was this ill treatment of women, but Jesus saw the value in women and even shocked his disciples in his treatment of women. So what's clear as we look to the Gospels is that Jesus did not give in to favoritism. He did not engage in discrimination. He saw every person as a person of value, no matter matter the background, the social standing, or ethnicity. And I think what a model for us today as we're talking about putting our faith to work. What does that look like? It looks like this. We don't give in to favoritism. We don't play into discrimination. Now, you would think, you would think that after the disciples had been with Jesus for three years, they would have got this. They would have realized, hey, there's no favoritism. I mean, we've been following Jesus for three years. We've, we've watched how he interacted with different groups of people. It's like Jesus didn't have favorites. But even after three years, the disciples didn't get it. Why? Because oftentimes this issue of discrimination runs really deep. Really deep. As if we look on to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, an interesting story 
Peter, being a good Jew, Peter has a vision. God gives him a vision of, of uh, these unclean animals and said, you know, rise and eat. And, and, and Peter is a bit shocked by that. He says, Lord, you, you know, I've never had anything unclean. Like, I, I can't do that. And again, there was this challenge, Peter, rise and, rise and eat. And then the voice from heaven spoke to him a second time and said this, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, all of this was a setup because God had an assignment for Peter. You read on in Acts chapter 10, the assignment was for Peter to go to Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. Good Jews didn't mix with the Gentiles. Why? Because, again, there was this discrimination. There was this separation. The Jews were better than the, than the Gentiles, and so Jews didn't interact with the Gentiles. And so Peter, in obedience to the direction of God, goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius, get this, Cornelius and his whole household is saved. Not only are they saved, but they receive the Holy Spirit just as the disciples did in Acts chapter 2. And in this encounter, Peter said these words, and I, I want to read this verse of Scripture, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It's actually on the screen. Notice what Peter said. As a result of this encounter, going to the home of a Gentile, seeing God's grace poured out, his mercy poured out upon the Gentiles, Peter said this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and those who do what is right. God doesn't show favoritism. For Peter, this was like a life-defining moment. What he discovered is that God values all people and that as he was living out his faith, he should value all people as well. In other words, there was not a distinction between one people group or another because well, the gospel, the gospel, because of the gospel, everyone was included and everyone should be valued. Hey, Jesus didn't come just to reveal his, his love for the Jews, he came to reveal love, what for? For all people. And when Jesus began his three years of public ministry, he created this tension with the religious leaders. He created a challenge for, for all who were good Jews of his day because of how he treated people. He blew up the paradigms of the day as he came to treat all people equal. Again, there's, there's no favorites. And what, what was evident is that, is that Jesus valued all people and it was it was uh, revealed in how he treated people. And I believe that one of the tests of our faith is simply this, how we treat people. Want to know if your faith is working? Want to know how you're doing in your faith life? Here's a really simple assessment. Look at how you're treating others. See, we, we, we cannot separate human relationship from divine fellowship. See, our relationship with God must be revealed or fleshed out in our relationship with others. Or we might say it like this, our faith is put to work where? In our relationships. And when Jesus was approached by a religious leader and asked this question in Matthew 22, Master, which is the greatest of all of the commandments? You remember what Jesus said? He narrowed it down to two. Love God, right? And love your neighbor. That all of the law is summarized in these two. Love God and love your neighbor. And these two commandments are connected in this. Our love for God must impact how we love others. Right? Our love for God must impact how we relate with one another. In other words, let me say it like this. Your vertical relationship, right, 
must impact your horizontal relationships. Are you with me? At least nod your head. I know it's a holiday weekend, but help me out. Your vertical relationship with God must impact your horizontal relationships in a positive way. If not, there's a problem. we got a breakdown. Well, because our faith is revealed in and through our relationships. Like, like you can't say, I love God, but I don't love rednecks. You, you can't say, I love God, but I don't love liberals. Or I love God, and I don't love conservatives. Or I, I love God, but I just, well, I don't like people who are different from me. It doesn't work. Listen, according to God's word, our love for God and our relationship with God must positively impact how we relate to others. Listen to what John wrote, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom, whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. So according to John, our love for God must be revealed in how we love and treat others. That's why, that's why, friends, there's no place for favoritism or discrimination in the body of Christ, in the church today. There's no place for it. Why? Because we're called to live out the love of God. William Barclay wrote these words. I, I believe his statement's in your notes. His, he said, in God's presence, all earthly distinctions are less than, the, less than the dust, and all earthly righteousness is as filthy rags. In the presence of God, all men are one. You know, all men, all people are valuable. And what's clear from Scripture is that God does not show favoritism. He, he does not elevate one people group over another. He, God doesn't give preference to people based on the things that we judge people by today, being status or titles, accomplishments, skin color, money, or anything else. I mean, the Scripture is, is so clear in this. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says that God does not show favoritism. Bottom line, listen, you, you can't get any plainer than that, can you? God doesn't show favoritism. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul wrote these words, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. Notice, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, friends, the ground is level at the foot of the cross for all people. God doesn't show favoritism. God values one. All people, and it's proven by the cross, Jesus died and was resurrected for all people. But because of our humanity, that's the problem. Because of the depravity of our humanity. Down through history, we've struggled. We've struggled with this truth of every single person being valuable. And I hate to admit it, but it's still a problem today. We still have the problem of favoritism. We still have the problem of discrimination today. And friends, it's not just in the world, even in the church. Obviously, it was a problem in the early church because James addresses it in his letter. I want us to read what James wrote about this issue of favoritism, if I can be so bold to say the sin of favoritism, because that's what James calls it. James chapter 2 Let's pick up with verse 1. James says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. 
So suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold, a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James is quite clear here and pretty direct. His charge to us as we're putting our faith to work is to what? Did not show favoritism. Did not give place for discrimination. Matter of fact, he clearly states here that showing favoritism is a sin. Now, to get us all on the same page, let me give you a working definition of favoritism. Favoritism is partiality or bias. To show favoritism is to give preference to one person over another. It's similar to discrimination. It may be based on conditions such as social class, wealth, clothing, ethnicity, etc. It's giving preferential treatment to one person over another group of people. It's treating people different. It's basically saying one group of folks is better than another group of folks. Now, this is risky. What I'm about to do this morning is risky. Um, but I want to try to illustrate for you how favoritism plays out. So if you're on the main floor, not in the balcony, if you're on the main floor and you live in Iredale County, would you stand to your feet? What in the world are you folks from Iredale County doing sitting on the main floor? This is Mecklenburg County. It's the seat of the city of Charlotte. How dare you think you could sit on the main floor? I want all of you to go to the balcony right now. Just kidding. Let me see them. Everyone that has denim jeans on like these this morning, would you stand to your feet? Don't you know that today is the Lord's day and this is the Lord's house? <laughs> How dare you wear the clothes of a common man into the Lord's house on Sunday? Because you're wearing the clothes of a common man, you need to leave now and go to the balcony. You don't deserve to sit in these seats. 
Wow. You can be seated. Anyone that has shorts on this morning? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, Mark. (laughs) That's what favoritism looks like and feels like. That we would treat someone different because of, of maybe where they're from or what they're wearing or maybe their ethnicity. And that we would give preferential treatment to one group over another group simply based on the externals. Here, there's a scripture in 1 Samuel 16, I believe it's verse 8, that says, man, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, the heart. But God's really not concerned about the externals as he is the internals. You know, the Bible is clear that favoritism is not God's will for our lives. Not only is it a violation against God, but it's a violation against the people that he created in his likeness and his image. Let me give you a few, re- a few reasons why this is true. And then, we, and then we want to then transition to talk about what do we do with this. Four reasons really quick. The violation of favoritism. The first is this. Favoritism is the opposite of God's word and the opposite of God's way. Again, we see this truth communicated throughout the Bible. Time and time again, we find Scripture that confronts the wrong of favoritism, the wrong of discrimination. Let me just give you three really quick. Leviticus 19.15 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to, to the poor, favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. 1 Timothy 5.21 says, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. James 2.9, we just read, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. What God's Word clearly reveals is this. Every human being, every human being, no matter ethnicity, social status, or appearance, is created in the image of God and is valuable to God. Can I get an amen on that? Every single person. And just as God values all people, so we are called. So we are challenged to do the same as we put our faith to work. Here's a second violation. Favoritism discourages others. Discourages others. How many of you at some point or time have experienced the injustice or the pain of favoritism or discrimination? How many of you would say? So let's interact just for a minute. How, how did it make you feel, the, the favoritism, the discrimination? What was the emotion that you experienced as a result of that? Less important. I'm sorry, less important? Thank you, Tom. Worthless? Angry? Ashamed or shamed? I'm sorry. I don't have my hearing aids in. You're going to have to say it really loud. Sad. Yeah. Hurt. I mean, we could go on. How many of you know, none of the things that were just said are positive. All negative emotions. Why? Because where there's the presence of favoritism, individuals are, what, they're discouraged. 
They're not encouraged. They're not lifted. They're actually pushed down. They're restricted. They're restricted in their lives. I mean, I remember, I'm 56, and this takes me all the way back to elementary school, but I can remember what would happen at recess. How many remember those painful days? I, I was not the super athlete. That may surprise you. But I, I was not like the one that everyone wanted on their team. You know, I was always like the last one picked. It's like, oh, I, okay, if we have to take him, we'll take him. It was kind of that deal. I, I never got to be like the team captain who got to pick the team because I didn't have the ability. I was always kind of like the last one. And, um, you know, I, I'm still seeing a counselor about that. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I remember that was painful. I, I remember I had a teacher in the fourth grade who it was quite obvious that she had favorites. I was not one of the favorites. And I remember, it's amazing. I mean, that's all the way back to fourth grade. Amazing how this issue of of favoritism, what does it do? It discourages others. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage others. And when we treat one person with respect and another person with disrespect due to externals or, or any other reasons, we discriminate and we dishearten people. We're doing the opposite of 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Let me tell you, friends, when you're playing out discrimination and when you're playing favors to one individual or one group of people over another group of people, man, you're not encouraging, you're not lifting, you're, you're not building up. Here's a third violation of, of favoritism. Favoritism devalues others. Now, James here in this text paints us a picture of a person who walks in with with gold on, and they're wearing these fine clothes, and another person comes in in rags. The rich person's given a seat in a place of honor, while the poor person's asked to sit on the floor. Now, in this day, there would not have been a, a facility like this where there's like seats for everyone. There would have been maybe two or three seats, or maybe one bench. And so, what was happening in James' day in the early church is the folks who came in. It was obvious they had some wealth. They had some what? Some money. They were given the best seats. Folks who come in in rags, obviously they didn't have much to give. Okay, you can sit on the floor. But it was a devaluing of the very individuals that God values. He, when, we, when we give in to favoritism, what are we doing? We're, we're devaluing others. Not only does favoritism devalue others, favoritism dethrones God. Favoritism replaces God as the judge and makes us the judge. What are you doing when you elevate one, when you give, when you play favorites to one and you show discrimination in another? What, what are you? You've become the judge, right? You've dethroned God, who is a judge, and you've made yourself the judge. So favoritism is offensive because it attempts to, to dethrone God and to enthrone, to enthrone us. So what do we do with this issue? What do we do with this issue of favoritism? Because again, I'm telling you, friends, this is not just a problem that was happening in the early church that James needed to address. I would say it's still a challenge we're faced with today in the church. 
So, so what, do we do? what do we do with this problem of favoritism? What, what do we do with this problem of discrimination? I'm going to leave you with, with three things this morning. The first is this. We need to confront the sin of favoritism. Or can I say it like this? We need to confront the sin of discrimination. We need to call it out. We need to call it what it is. If you look back to verse 8 and 9, James, sa- James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, notice you sin. Favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. So James is confronting the sin, the sin of what's happening in the early church. He's telling the early believers that their actions of giving preferential treatment is like, here, you have money. You have the best seat. Oh, you don't have money. Why don't you just sit there in the dirt? James is saying, hey, that's wrong. That's violation. That is sin. He says, when you show favoritism, when you give in to discrimination, you are sinning. You're operating the opposite of God's will and God's way. Listen, just as it was sin in James' day, so it is today. Whenever we fall prey to judging others based on titles, based on status, based on ethnicity or anything else, what are we doing? We are sinning. We're not following the way of Jesus. What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to own the wrong of favoritism or discrimination. And we need to change our actions. We need to change our behavior. Why? Because as we put our faith to work, it's about valuing all people, not some people, not just the rich people, not just the a certain ethnicity or a certain ethnic group. No, we, we value all people. So first we want to confront the sin of favoritism. And as Christ followers, then we must make it a priority to authentically love everyone, to authentically love every single person. I want you to listen to what Jesus wrote. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, notice those five words. Jesus says, as I have loved you. Think about that. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying here, hey, here's the new way. It's the way of love. And what's interesting is Jesus says here that this is not an option. He didn't say, you know, if if it's convenient, you should love others. Or if they're nice to you, you should love others. Lord, would you put that verse back up? I, I want you to notice specifically what Jesus says. He says, as I have loved you, so you must, so you must love one another. So Jesus is giving us a, a directive here. It's a kind of, so you must love one another. He, he doesn't say, so you must love a certain people group. So you must love those who look just like you. No, he says, so you must love one another. And notice in this verse, He qualifies 
how we should love one another, right? We should love one another as he has loved us. So how has Jesus loved you? Like unconditionally? Continually? A love that accepts you right where you're at with all of your mess? A love that's continually reaching out? I mean, that's the way Jesus has loved you, right? Right, Tim? Tim's with me. That's the way Jesus has loved you. And now he's saying this is the very same way you are to love others, and you don't get to pick who the others are. It's everyone. So so what do we do with this issue of discrimination, this issue of favoritism that might play out in a lot of different ways in, in the church, in the body of Christ? We confront the sin. We confront the wrong. We repent and we say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to love authentically. We're going to love like Jesus loved. I'm telling you, friends, here's the answer. The answer to discrimination, the answer to racism, the answer to favoritism today is this. It's love. Right? As we live out love, it's love that overcomes those issues. As we live out love, it's then that we're giving value to all people. As we live out the very love that so transformed us. Here's a third way that we can confront favoritism as we put our faith to work. It's this. Choose to give others what you've received from God. Mercy, not judgment. Look back to verse 12 and 13 of James chapter 2. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many of you are grateful this morning for the mercy of God? Can I tell you what the mercy of God means? It's really simple. You don't get what you deserve. (laughs) Is that not great news? You don't get what you deserve. You know, can I tell you what you deserve? Man, a kick in the seat of the pants. We don't want to talk about what we deserve, friends, because it's not a pretty picture. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve, yet we get what goodness and kindness. The, the Hebrew word for mercy from the Old Testament is this word kesed. That means goodness, kindness. What did God give to you? Goodness, kindness. He sought you out that he might show you compassion. That's what mercy is. As we have received mercy, so we should give mercy, right? James says it's mercy that triumphs over judgment. It's mercy and that triumphs over, see, favoritism is a form of judgment, right? You're making a judgment. You're elevating one over, over another. So even as we have received God's mercy, listen, don't, friends, don't get stingy with mercy. As we have received God's mercy, I'm going to give mercy to others. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Folks, there's no way around it. The way we behave toward people reflects what we really believe about God. The way we relate to others, one another, people different than us, really reflects what we believe about God. If we put our faith to work, listen, there's no place for favoritism. There's no place for discrimination. There's no place for one people group to be elevated over another. There's no place for wealthy being treated better than the poor. There's no place for ethnic discrimination where one people group is treated better than another. Listen, just as God loves, values, and accepts all people, so should we. So we're all God's favorites, right? There's a tragic story. It takes us a few years back. It's the story that Mahatma Gandhi tells about his own experience with the church. When he was a, a younger man, when he was a student, this famous Indian leader considered becoming a Christian. He read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he was captivated. He was captivated by the words of Jesus. It seemed to him that Christianity offered a solution to the caste discrimination system that plagued the people of India. So one Sunday, Gandhi went to a local church. He had decided to see the pastor that day and ask for details about the way of salvation. But when he entered the church, which consisted of white people, the ushers refused to give him a seat, and they told him to go and worship with his own people. Gandhi says he left and never went back. He said, if Christians have caste differences or discrimination, I might as well remain a Hindu. I think it's that tragic story that illustrates the danger and the damage of the sin of favoritism. The sin, the wrong of discrimination. As we're putting our faith to work, this is what it looks like. We value every individual for who they are, for who God created them to be. As we're living out what the love of Christ to others. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for your love and acceptance. God of us. God, we're grateful today that you don't have favorites. It's not like the Jews are in and the Gentiles are out because that means most of us in the room today would be out. Lord, it's not like the wealthy are in and the poor are out. Lord, that means most of us would be out. It's not like the white folks are in and the black folks are out. Lord, some would be out. It's not like the black folks are in and the white folks are out. Lord, some would be out. God, I'm grateful that you don't have favorites, that you don't show favoritism, but you see every individual as someone of, of great value that you created in your image and your likeness. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by that this morning. Lord, that we would determine in our own lives, as we're, as we're putting our faith to work, as we're walking out this very faith we profess. Holy Spirit, help us to die to any points of discrimination or favoritism that maybe has found its way into our lives. Holy Spirit, when we, when we, when we give in to maybe 
that action or that movement toward showing favoritism or engaging in some kind of discrimination. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict us in that moment. That you would wreck us in that moment. Holy Spirit, help us to live out love. Lord Jesus, even as you loved, help us live out that love every day. Treating others with dignity and respect and value. Lord, as the world looks to the church, may we reflect that of your love. And that they would see what it looks like. Where there's a community of folks where value is not only spoken, but value is given. Holy Spirit, help us to that ends, I pray. With every head bowed and eye closed really quick, I just want to ask you this morning, because, again, it's okay to be honest, we're in church. If you, in your life, just in a quick assessment, would say, hmm, I know there's this area in my life where I struggle with favoritism, where I have this tendency. Or there's this place in my life where I, I struggle with discrimination. I have this tendency. And you're just willing to say, yeah, I own that this morning. I'm repenting, and I'm seeking God's help. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Lord, I, I thank you for just people being willing to be honest because Lord, this is where it, stop, it starts is when we're aware of the problem we have. So Lord, for individuals with hands raised, God, you see their hearts. You see their desire. Lord, they're confronting this sin of favoritism and they're asking for your help. So Lord, by your spirit, guide them. By your spirit, break down those walls maybe that's been built through generations. And Holy Spirit, not only flow love to them, but Holy Spirit, flow love through them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.